Hello and welcome to the Switchboard podcast. Funded by the Office of Refugee Resettlement, Switchboard is a one-stop resource hub for refugee service providers in the United States. My name is Kristen Guskovit. I'm a licensed clinical social worker and subject matter expert working with Switchboard to provide self-care resources. I have over 15 years of experience working with refugees and other immigrants and have spent the last five years focused on staff care initiatives within the refugee, immigrant, humanitarian provider community. You can find me at heartofaidwork.com. Today, I'm joined by Dr. April Endell. Dr. Endell is a psychotherapist, speaker, and mental health advocate in South Florida, specializing in love, relationships, and mental wellness, as well as how to make these things work in today's modern age. Her passion is making therapy more accessible, convenient, and readily available to those who are in need and ready to feel stronger. You can find her online at aprilendell.com. April, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much, Kristen. I'm very ecstatic to be here. So this conversation is actually a part of a series of self-care blog posts and podcasts that Switchboard has developed over the past several weeks. And since the beginning, we've been collecting questions. Our goal today is to have an open conversation about self-care and use this time to respond to those questions. Let's get started. So the first question says, if you are someone who has physical touch as one of your love languages, but you live alone, are single, and have no pets, so no ability to have any physical touch at this time, what do you do? Oh, man, that's a good question. It's oh, it's completely relevant. I think there, there was a statistic out there recently where they're saying, you know, like a quick poll of people who responded to the survey. And of that poll, um, it was the fact that about 30 percent, 30 to 35 percent at that particular time, a third of them had responded how lonely they feel during this time when we are cut off from everything. So that is real. And imagine how much more significant it is when you you, you just don't have anyone there to give you the other part of touch. Yeah. So some some things, what could that person do? My very first thing is physical security items. One of the things is even as a grown-up, uh, a blanket is still really important. And um, I'm going to interrupt for just a second because that's one of the things that was on my list too, is something yeah. packed up, right? Yes. So, you know, yes. something that you can, even if it's just a part of a blanket that you can put in your pocket so you can feel it and remember either when you were a kid and you felt safe or if it's something that's associated to somebody that you love or somebody that you miss that you can, you know, use that to feel connected to them again. Absolutely. Exactly. I completely 100% agree. And um, when you're actually thinking about the sensory factors of a blanket, for example, when you really feel covered and good, you want to make sure that it's over your shoulders. And sometimes people are like, it's over your head and your ears. Mm-hmm. So people usually put their blankets around their laps. During this time, I would encourage you to you know, use two blankets if you got to, and one on the lap and one over your shoulders and your head. It just, it just provides a little bit of extra you know, tactile to get adjusted to. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing. And my other recommendation inside of blankets are weighted blankets. I have a weighted blanket. I put it around my shoulders and my head. It feels like a hug. Weighted blankets is really, I 100% recommend. The other one that I would recommend is um, sort of like your own guided meditation, right? So thinking mm-hmm. about a time that you really felt loved and connected with people yes. and even closing your eyes to it. And the best way to do something like that is to go back to those senses. So bringing up that image and then like looking and trying to remember what you saw around you, trying to remember what you could touch or what you could hear, or what you could smell so that you can really feel like you're back in that moment for a while um, and feel like you're you're connected again. It's really important because 
people don't realize how complicated the brain is. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's gloriously complicated because you can actually put yourself back into those moments. And just through that process of remembering, your brain goes through its own, you know, schedule and, you know, chemicals firing of muscle memory that can actually relieve, um, specific chemicals that help you feel comforted in those things. That's why when people are, get really good at meditate, they can actually picture and feel sunshine going mm-hmm. through your body. You can actually feel it. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing. So just to remember, you know, those people who are so close to you, definitely, I would encourage. I love that, that tip for sure. I have another thought. Yeah, please. Just finished working with a client and she's going through struggles because she lives in this beautiful flat in London, but she's there on her own. And she has this big dog, but not even the dog can help. She's lonely. It's really struggling. So I was telling her to make sure, you know, she just moved in. Her walls are a little bare. So we talked about when you are in your apartment, how do you make it more (laughs) people-ish? Put up your pictures. If people, if you have, you know, your established home, it doesn't mean you can't put up more pictures, especially of people who are not on the walls. Even if it's just, you know, printing something real quick, tacking it up with a piece of tape. Right now, it makes a difference. Put it on your mirrors, on your walls, on your couch. I have another client. She has pictures of faces on her couch pillows. (laughs) So she joins her family on the couch to watch whatever. It's really cute. But make your place more people-ish, okay? (laughs) Also, what's really good is to hear voices that you're familiar with. You can go back through uh, TV shows and movies that you've watched over and over again, the ones that are, you know, you've memorized (laughs) what that whole story and situation was. Those situations where you have the people's voices and their comfort to you, you watch them again. That actually works. It's a comfort and you just keep it low in the background because then people that you're familiar with will kind of be around. And um, you can also do that with your voicemails. Every now and then you just go through a voicemail or two. So things, things like that. I'm going to add two additional things to the list. One mm-hmm. is letter writing. Old-fashioned. Mm-hmm. Get out a piece of paper and a pen. Your writing and, and send it. You know, mm-hmm. when we do email, we take about two seconds to think. But if we do, a, if you're sitting there writing a letter, you're thinking about the person, you're thinking about what you want to say to them, you're thinking about what you want to find out about them. Like, mm-hmm. there's a lot more sort of thought that I think we put into real letters. If you haven't written a letter in a really long time, it might be a good time to try it out again, right? So there's the tactile aspect of it, but there's also that feeling of being connected. And we do have to be a little bit more creative right now, but I think that there's a lot of opportunities for that if we if we can try them out. And oh, absolutely. So the next person that asked us a question um, states, my biggest challenge is staying physically active which is even harder because the weather in my area has been terrible lately. I think, again, this is one of those things that just resonates with everyone. How do I stay motivated and stay physically active, especially if it's not nice enough to go outside or if I'm not healthy enough to go outside or if going outside with all of the masks that people are wearing makes me feel fearful or triggers me in some way, how do I do this? So I like to, you know, just start the the conversation of, how is it that I can get out and do that by just concentrating on what you can do rather than what you cannot do? You know, so if you can't go outside for whatever reason, what can you do inside? And then if you do want to go outside, then how can you make it happen 
you know, there's a window of opportunity or do you need a little bit of extra equipment or, or just a little extra oomph to get you to go? So what can you do versus what you cannot do? And that's always going to, I think, um, provide you the answers quicker. And then once you get through that, um, prepare. I love this step. So I just go back to um, your active clothes ready, ready to go. Put your active or tennis shoes, you know, by your bed, because if it means that what you can do is doing something inside, then that's what you do. But there's all kinds of fitness videos online, dance videos, little courses, gyms are moving to online workouts. It is possible. If you cannot go outside, it's completely possible. And I also like to encourage people to find something fun, something that they would, that would bring a little bit of joy to them. And my recommendations is there's um, a YouTube channel called Cola Fitness. There's another one with um, somebody called Fitness Marshall. Uh, so find something fun that you would enjoy and you can do all of that inside. People don't realize that there's so many different tools and possibilities inside your house already mm-hmm. that you can utilize. My last thing is um, a lot of us move according to our mood. And I always like to work with my clients and um, give them a, a kind of a ratio structure is that you're trying to do this a little bit more 60, 40 or at the very best of it, 50-50, mood versus wet action. So if you always operate inside of your mood, then how do you just lean a little bit more to operate inside of action? Because sometimes you just have to push yourself. So if you're realizing that you're operating too much in the mood, how do you get to action and get that done? And yes, exercise is possible. I think those are really good tips. And it is so true that to be able to visualize ourselves doing it, just like visualizing yourself uh, being with people that you love and that same idea of touch does start to get us going. So small baby steps, be compassionate with yourself. If you screw it up today, you can try again tomorrow. It's not that you screwed it up forever. Um, just I like that. Harder. Yeah. yeah, you can even try again the next hour. You know, mm, you have to wait till tomorrow. Let's try again in an hour. <laughs> sure. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So the next question we have is really, I think, something that will resonate with everybody. But it says, how can I, as a provider, be supportive to my clients at this time while also taking care of myself? Okay. So all the self-care things of what we just talked about, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? <laughs> Regularly check in with yourself, I think is very important um, because we're some of us, you know, as providers, as um, essential workers, because we are working in care of others, we really have to remind ourselves to that. Unfortunately, as giving as we are, our priority is us first so that we can take care of our loved ones and everybody else around us and under our charge. And that extends to the community, to the world when you take care of yourself really well. And I often recommend about checking in with yourself. I call it taking the temperature, you know, just, you know, what am I feeling right now? And I encourage people to do that kind of around the thought process of morning, noon, and night. You identify what emotion you are waking up in, you're in the middle of your day and you're ending in. And when you figure out those emotions, the title of it, I'm tired, I'm frustrated, I'm calm. Then you look at those things and you adjust accordingly. So I'm frustrated is more of a negative emotion. So if you're frustrated, 
what can you do to find a little bit more balance from that frustration? Just one thing, super small. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, they check in with themselves, but they may not identify the emotion. And then a lot of people don't, you know, go further and be like, okay, so to keep me in a good balance, what do I need to do right now? Yeah, you know what? I, I think that one of the challenges um, with this question is, first, this is probably the first time in our lives that our worries mirror those of our clients. Mm. And mm. so there's this very difficult balance to make sure that when you're talking to your client that you're focused on their worries and you didn't all of a sudden insert your own, right? Mm. And when we're talking about our refugee clients, they are essential workers. They are potentially without jobs. They are potentially looking at deportation, some of them. There are some real concerns out there that are bigger than we're always having to deal with, right? We always have to deal with, is there job? Is there housing? Is there food? And so now the need is so much greater and the fear is so much greater that not only is there this challenge of staying focused on your client when you're in the moment with them, but then there's this challenge that seems to be coming out where people are comparing themselves. Well, my, my life isn't as bad as theirs, so I shouldn't feel that. I don't have a right to feel what I'm feeling. I don't have a right to complain about what's hard for me. And that's simply not true. We all only have our experiences. You may know about other people's experiences, but you only have your own. So there's two things that I think are competing here. One is how do I focus on my client when I need to focus on them? And two is how do I focus back on myself and validate that my feelings are are correct? They're valid. They are meaningful. Even if it feels like my experience is different from somebody else's. So in this circumstance, especially, I think one of the things we need to be doing is showing that same level of compassion and support to ourselves as we do to our clients, and then really recognizing the limits, right? We're not, we're not miracle makers, no matter how much people think we are, there, there aren't the same level of jobs, there aren't the same level of opportunities. I was also thinking that inside of the process, um, without revealing information, one of the things that works for me, when I'm talking directly with my clients, is sharing how my other clients have found success. All I use is clients. And I say, you know, I had one client and they, you know, tried out this or they experienced that this helped them. So I can use myself, I can use the clients and they're still anonymous and that can, you know, have the lesson go further. It's always been able to be a hit, leaving that person with somebody, something to think about that can be beneficial to them. Okay. So we have two more questions. Um, the next one is, how can I connect direct service staff to volunteers and mental health resources to get their own support? Oh, great question. So there are actual services that we can do inside of this process um, that do connect us to online, including services that are going to other providers. So sometimes we forget that our companies that we work for do have resources ready for us. Not not all of us, I understand. But one of the first things that helps often is um, employee assistance programs. And they sometimes can connect you to a mental health resource if you are in need as a provider. But on top of that, now there's so many mental health resources online that all I do, I can really truly say now, just just Google it and you've got a plethora of information at you. One of my favorites is um, betterhelp.com. 
they actually do have a process of providing for providers. Um, you can sign up with them or with other things. There's also a talk space and there's seven cups. So there's um, lots of areas where you can take advantage of those platforms yourself and then point your clients. Or um, if you are a manager, you can point your staff and your volunteers to those uh, resources as well. And um, there are also lots of mental health blogs that have those kind of components, like forum components. Um, another really great one is called withthemighty.com. is a really great um, resource for all kinds of things as well. And it's a lot of just people talking and connecting to people. Those are, those are some really great resources. And actually, I think we're going to go ahead and end here because this is a perfect lead into our next podcast. The next podcast is going to be talking specifically about how organizations can help their staff. Um, so be on the lookout for that. And I hope that everyone has taken a few tips away from here. Just want to reiterate that, of course, not everything works for everyone. So try some things out, get creative, um, and hopefully this will help. Um, so April, thank you so much for joining me. This has been wonderful. And I so appreciate all of your time and your insights. I absolutely honored to be here and to your listeners, you know, well wishes to every single one of them and to you too.